guest today has an impressive list of degrees spanning a number of fields, including chemistry, law, bioinformatics, biology, and microbiology, where she studied the replication of coronaviruses. We spent the majority of this episode covering viruses, origins, the spread, as well as human evolution and politics. Here's a fantastic conversation with my friend, Lisa Sardinia. All right, well, to start, can you, in a very simple way, explain biology? Uh, no. Um, so, uh, biology, all the ologies are studies of. So uh, biology is, uh, you know, it's the, the study of living things. Um, and I would say an awful lot of biologists are people who just want to understand how it works. Um, sort of pull back the curtain. How living things work. Living things work. Um, and all the way from uh, in a very artificial system in a lab to what's actually happening in that forest. Okay. And so w what area do you specialize in? Microbiology. Okay. And so what is that? Um, it, it actually, uh, it's a joke, but it's, it's the study of, li of, of small things. Okay. So people who are microbiologists study viruses, bacteria, um, yeast, <clears throat> often the kinds of organisms that you can't see without a microscope. Okay. That's a very simple way of explaining it. Great job. <laughs> uh, so I don't want to spend a ton of time on COVID, but I think we're going to have to. <laughs> I, I think everybody's kind of sick of it, but um, I think it's worth noting that you study viruses. I am literally a coronavirologist. Yeah. And My so, PhD thesis was on coronaviruses. Yeah. So, so this yeah. means a lot. This means a different thing to you than everyone else mm -hmm. the last three years. Yes. I, um, when I first heard, you know, that when we first got the first reports, I just thought it was mildly interesting because that was my virus. And they're, um, I hate to say they're a really cool virus, uh, but they are. They have an interesting uh, genome. Their genes are organized like nothing, no other entity on earth. Um, the way they replicate is somewhat unique. Somewhat, I just said somewhat unique. Um, and so I was just interested scientifically. Then when it blew up, it wasn't. Well, how are they different to other viruses? Um, well, um, so viruses can be classified in a number of different ways, but viruses um, can have different kinds of genomes. So our genomes are DNA. DNA is our genes. And there are some viruses like that, but there are RNA viruses, and some of them... Um, replicate in the host cell's nucleus, and some of them insert their genes into the host cell's chromosomes, and some of them replicate in the other parts of the cell. And they just do it differently. But they, the uh, coronaviruses are an RNA virus, and they have, um, we usually think of uh, genes as being pieces of DNA, um, and this is pieces of RNA, but they overlap. They just have one RNA and the, the RNAs, the, the genes overlap. It's a, what's called a nested set. Okay. And I don't know any other, I know this, uh, no other viruses really do that. Okay. So in, 
the early part of 2020, when you saw this in the news, did you have any idea that it could become what it did? Yes, I did. And I was somewhat worried that it might because um, it didn't appear as though people were understanding how quickly a respiratory virus that isn't um, enormously deadly can travel. Um, the only reason we don't have Ebola everywhere is that it kills people too quickly. Hmm. And it sounds terrible, but they can't get very far. But if you can be infected by a virus, travel all over the world, spewing out virus for days before you even know you're sick, that goes worldwide fast. So if you're looking at it from the perspective of a coronavirus, the reason that they are not successful is that they don't kill you fast enough. No, that's why they are successful. Because they stay in your body so long that you can transmit yeah. it. But then not yeah. as many people are going to die as something that would kill you quicker. Great. Yeah. If, you're, if you're looking for a host, the, the best parasites, and viruses are parasites, um, don't kill their hosts. They keep them alive a long time. Hmm. so that they Because that's the only place they can replicate. You can't grow viruses like on a Petri dish in a lab. They can only grow inside the cells of living organisms well, what about cells. What about the talk of uh, labs where they're, they're growing these viruses they, in order to study them? They are growing them. They're growing them in human cells. So people have, have set what are called cell lines that were, uh, you may remember the uh, kind of the, um, there was a big story about Henrietta Lacks. Hmm. This uh, was a woman in the 50s who had cells removed uh, because she had cervical cancer. And they started growing those in the lab. And we still use them, these very same HeLa cells. They're immortal. Um, Why don't they just get new cells? Why do they keep kind of using hers? Um, because they're... Uh, um, their cancer cells are immortal, and so you can just keep them around for a long time. Getting new cells and getting them to grow in cell culture is a little bit tricky, but once you get a cell line going, you can keep it going for decades. Wow. And you can find cell lines that – so we used ones in our lab that were um, particularly good at growing coronaviruses and some other viruses as well, but different cell lines can be used for different different. Uh, things, but they still have to grow inside living cells, not just streaked on auger. Okay, so all of these labs where they are cultivating different viruses, they're using human cells, or are they using rat cells or other mammal cells? Yes. Yeah. All of the above. Okay. Um, we uh, when it, in our lab we used um, we were studying um, canine coronavirus, a dog, um, feline porcine, pig, and bovine, and human. Mm -hmm. So we had several cell lines, depending on which coronavirus mm -hmm. grew best in that cell line. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I don't, I don't want to quote you because you probably don't know the answer to this, but uh, there is the possibility, very strong possibility, that there are nefarious sources growing cells, or excuse me, growing viruses in these cells all the time, and that that potentially gets out. Um, there, th certainly, th it's not easy. Okay. So this is not probably something somebody is doing in their garage. No, I'm saying like... Um, but are there labs? Well, first of all, of course there are labs that are studying all kinds of viruses that cause diseases, mm -hmm. right? Are some of them also trying to make bioweapons? 
Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like any other kind of weapon. Mm-hmm. There are people doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there are people who think that that's what happened here. It is possible that it escaped from a lab, which is not the same thing as creating bioweapons. Um, when you have infectious uh, viruses, they can escape. When I, when I was in graduate school and we were working on uh, coronaviruses, including some human coronaviruses that cause colds, that's it. Um, but And so we were careful but we weren't in the whole suits or anything, and um, no, nobody got sick, but I'm pretty sure we all uh, were infected by those viruses that we worked with. Huh. Um, but most of them don't grow in humans, so infection just means they got in you and maybe infected a cell. It doesn't mean that they got any farther than that. Huh. It's very dangerous. I understand. I understand why bad people would want to do it. I understand why good people would attempt to do it, but it's so dangerous to be to be messing around with stuff like that that could potentially wipe out the human race. And you're just tinkering with it incrementally yes. in a lab. Yes. And then somebody does something wrong. Yes. And then it screws everything up. Yes. It's a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, studying them. So we weren't tinkering with them. Uh, we were trying to figure out how they replicate. One of the reasons that we got a vaccine so quickly for this is because people had been studying coronaviruses for decades. Hmm. They knew everything about them. And in you know all the proteins that are there, what they what kinds of things, uh, how they uh, attach to human cells, if they didn't know that, it would have taken a lot longer to come up with a vaccine. So I think studying them, um, is important. It's it can be dangerous, but we didn't do any of the what's called gain of function studies where you were trying to mutate them. We were just studying the viruses as they existed already. Can you explain that for people because that's a that's a headline. I don't think anybody really knows what it means. Sure. Um, so, uh, particularly for viruses, every virus uh, again, viruses can only make more viruses if they're inside another cell, right? So they have to infect that cell. They have to um, have that cell's machinery, cellular machinery, make new viruses for them. They kind of take it over. And all viruses have what's called a host range. They can only attach to certain cells, maybe in certain species. So like plant viruses can't infect humans because they attach to different proteins on the the cells of plants. Um, So the genomes of viruses are so much smaller than even bacteria. It's fairly straightforward to be able to modify them, to cause mutations, to change them. Um, That's not that difficult to do. Often all that does is screw them up so that they don't replicate anymore. But you could possibly insert a new gene that allows it now to bind to different kinds of cells. So you could, I, I don't think it's I don't think you can make a plant virus into a human virus, but you might be able to take a bird virus and now make it be able to infect mammals like humans. So gain of function means changing it so that it could work across multiple different types. That's one possibility. Um, uh, Yes. So that would be a gain of function because it's now doing something it couldn't do before. I see. Um, Maybe you could make it replicate faster. Maybe you could make it 
cause latent infections so that, uh, like chickenpox, if you get chickenpox when you're a kid, um, that you get chickenpox, you get better, but the virus genome is still in your cells. It's just incorporated, and that's why you can get shingles later. It's really just chickenpox for grownups. Mm-hmm. Um, and so perhaps that would be a gain of function, allowing a virus that once your immune system got rid of it, it's just gone. Maybe you could give it a gain of function where it could incorporate into your genome and be latent as well. Mm-hmm. And so with all this stuff that was happening and with your history and knowledge on coronaviruses, did you think at any point that it was going to wipe out the human race? Did you think it was that serious? Uh, n- no. Mm-mm. What did you think it was going to do? Just what it did. Um, I, I thought, so the, um, I thought it would, it would spread because nobody was really serious about stopping it. It could have been stopped, but decided not to do that. Um, it would mutate because it was infecting so many people and it's what's called a naive population. This is a novel coronavirus and nobody had had it before. So you didn't have any leftover immunity from something else, although it's not entirely completely different from any other coronavirus. And everybody's had coronavirus colds. So maybe there was a little cross-reaction. But it was going to be this worldwide population that it could just infect. And it mutates fairly quickly. It just does. Um, that's just, uh, it does, it, it's just not, uh, it doesn't have as much fidelity when it copies its own genome. And many of those mutations would make it less infectious, less virulent, less bad. But some of them would make it more infectious. And those are the ones that win. Not deadly, more infectious. If it can pass from one host to the next, you're going to have more of those because by definition, it has to go to another host. So any mutation that made it easier to hop from one host to another we would see more of that. And that's exactly what we saw. It killed a lot of people, but it didn't kill a lot of people. It, uh, that's what I would have expected with a coronavirus. There, it's easier to look at it with hindsight and with everything that we know now, but it seems like there wasn't much focus on health and Becoming healthy and exercising and eating right, it was all just about stay inside, which looking back on it now is counterintuitive. So it seems like they came at it in the wrong direction. Maybe. I, I've had some, uh, I was going to say arguments, but I'm going to say discussions with people whose plan, they, they really weren't interested in the vaccine. They were going to healthy their way out of this. Um, great idea to be healthy. Great idea to eat well get enough sleep, reduce stress, get exercise, all that stuff to make your immune system at its peak. Viruses, the generations of viruses are so, so, so much faster than humans. They will always outrun our immune system. Until about 100 years ago, the leading cause of death of humans was infectious disease. Well, smallpox. Everything. Smallpox killed Hundreds of millions of people. Uh, the bubonic plague is the only time that the, the, the Black Death is the only time in the history of modern humans that the worldwide population of humans went down so much you could see the dip. Mm-hmm. 
they win um, because they replicate so fast they could just there there'll be variants that can evade our immune system. Still good idea to have a great <laughs> immune system, but um, the reason uh, people don't die of infectious disease all the time now, there's three things. It's clean water, um, antibiotics, and vaccines. That's it. But with the vaccine for coronavirus, for COVID-19, the, the, the hope and the way it was explained is that it would eradicate it. And that turned out to be not true. It, I doubt that it was explained that way by scientists. Mm -hmm. um, I guarantee it was not. Yeah. Um, here, there was there was a there was a chance for a while. Here is the deal: because um, viruses can only replicate in living cells, if they can't, um, if if the if the host dies before it passes on, then that's a dead end there, or. If a person who has gets uh, COVID isolates and then gets better, then the virus didn't get, that was a dead end. And the more dead ends you have, the greater the chance is of eradicating it. So if you shut down, if you isolate and you vaccinate so that you have a bunch of people who are immune, even if they're not, uh, this is population level now. You don't have to have everybody be immune. You just have to have enough people be immune and not too many people interacting, and you, it would stop passing, and it could be eradicated. Hmm. Too late now. But. So you think the correct, the, the correct action should have been that everybody hangs out in their house for three weeks at the very start of it, and it would have disappeared? Um. It it's hard to say. It it might have been a little like twice that long. Maybe not three weeks. Maybe six weeks. But everybody worldwide had to do it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. It's it it might have it it's it because things like this have happened before. There are other viruses that are blow up like this, um, and they just they kind of slam it down quickly and it doesn't mm -hmm. get worldwide. This happens all the time with outbreaks. Mm -hmm. um, and this one, um, I don't know, well, I'm not sure why people didn't take it more seriously. And there, there was a whole lot of like, well, we're going to close the borders, but we're going to wait a week till everybody who's, all the U.S. citizens who are abroad can come back to the U.S., so then we're so then as soon as I heard that I was like well okay never mind we're done yeah, they're all <laughs> we're gonna bring now. yeah that's right um, and they're all gonna come into crowded airports as everybody's trying to get home um, yeah well the disappointing <laughs> thing is that this sets a precedent for when it inevitably happens again and yeah, yeah. I um, I don't quite know what that what the answer is here. So, um, except that the infectious disease will get us. Um, this is, we don't have a top, uh, humans don't have a top predator. 
right? Um, you may have ever, I, people have sometimes heard about this, even if they're not biologists. There are these predator-prey models where you have some place where there's like a lot of rabbits and they start they start breeding. And then pretty soon the population of foxes goes up because there's so much food. But then foxes start reproducing. They eat too many of the rabbits. And so the rabbit population goes down. Um, but there weren't any predators for rabbits in Australia. So they gave them rabbits and there was too many rabbits. Um, skunks is my example. So, um, do you know what the top predator for skunks is? Badgers or something? Nothing. Nothing? They taste as bad as they smell. And so oh, the only creatures that will eat a skunk are starving. It is the last resort. And yet, do you see a lot of skunks? No, I was just going to say there's not that many skunks. Okay. So what keeps them in, what keeps that population in check? When the population of skunks gets fairly high, it's much easier for infectious disease to decimate that population, knock it way back down. That's what keeps skunks in check is various vi skunk viruses. Huh. And now we're at 8 billion people on Earth and no top predator. What will keep the human population in check? Infectious disease. And it won't wipe out all the humans. We'll just have wave after wave where a few tens of millions of people die. Mm -hmm. Well, to me, and I'm not a proponent of this, but it sounds like a different form of eugenics. It sounds like it's the way of cleansing the the people who are not quite as healthy. I mean, it's it's evolution. Oh, if is it only, not? If only that were the case. Um, it is a type of eugenics, but... Not eugenics exactly. Um, there will be, there are people guaranteed um, that are naturally immune to not because they have good immune systems, because they have a gene variant that makes that little protein that the virus binds to. It's just altered, so they're not. They don't have to be healthy at all. Best example of this is HIV/AIDS. There are some people um, way back in the '80s who were saying we should be. We should be looking not at, we shouldn't be studying, sounds terrible, the people who have HIV. We should talk, we should be studying the people who've been repeatedly exposed to HIV and don't get it. Hmm. And I mean, we're talking about unhealthy people. We're talking about um, intravenous drug users. So we're not talking about healthy people and they just didn't get it. How did they not get it? Now we know they have a, they have a variant, a genetic variant, like having type A blood or type B blood or blue eyes or brown eyes. They just have a variant and HIV can't infect their cells, just literally cannot. So is that how they've created the drug that, that gets people through HIV is by somehow mutating? No. No. No, they just uh, they well, just inhibit parts of the of the of the of the cycle. Well, you heard about that guy in China who infected the two. I think it was two babies with some sort of. He 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 changed their genes to he says make have them that gene variant. Um, uh, it's not perfectly clear whether it actually worked. And he's not infected them with the virus to see if it worked. Yeah, that's the only way to find out. That's right. Yeah, that's that's, right. that's horrible. Exactly, <laughs> it is. Um, and so in almost any population for almost any infectious disease, um, there will be people with variants, genetic variants, that don't have to do anything. That's just part of their genes that makes them not susceptible 
to a particular virus. So yes, it's there's a genetic selection, not necessarily for the healthiest people, just the people who happen to have this genetic variant. Well, and the thing about that is that if a certain type of virus or a certain type of bacteria can come along and kill certain people with that gene structure or whatever, then it 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 isolates a certain type of person and then they are more like each other. And then if something came along, it would wipe out all of them, right? This is, you're really good at this. This is actually what's happened to humans. Humans are um, about one of the most genetically non-diverse cre- uh, species on earth. We're not quite Florida panthers, but uh, if you go to like, just go to Africa and start sampling the zebras, they're not 99%, 99.9% genetically identical to each other. Hmm. We are because there have been a number of these what are called genetic bottlenecks uh, where only a few people made it through whatever. Um, and so, yes, it, it is possible. I don't know how likely it is, but it is possible that a single virus could wipe out humans because we are so genetically similar. It's it's like when we talk about monoculture crops, how dangerous that is because w- humans are that. Mm-hmm. We are so uh, narrow. We have very little variation. Um, there's a little though, and that's probably uh, nobody knows why some people haven't gotten COVID yet. Um, because it's some unvaccinated people just, they just, they've been, you know, there are people who have never isolated, never worn a mask, are not vaccinated and they haven't gotten COVID. Why? Don't know. Well, I thought that was because maybe they had it and they didn't know it. It could be, or maybe they can't get infected. Hmm. Yeah. That's gotta be a pretty small percentage of the population by now. Right. It seems like anybody I've talked to has had it Um, somehow. Um, you haven't had it? No. No. Um, not that I know of, right? See, that's um, the thing. And you can't... I've I've done a lot of testing because mm-hmm. various times when I've had to test to to, to be certain places and give pre- presentations. Um, if I did, it was asymptomatic, which it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I am one of the people. And so I either haven't had it or I can't get it or I'll get it at some point. But it it is the case that... Um, the percentage of people who've been infected, which doesn't mean they got an overt disease, the percentage of people on earth who've been infected is massive. And so that I don't know that we'll get rid of this virus. It could become endemic rather than epidemic. Um, and it's just around all the time, but, but, um, Oh, there is one other problem with coronaviruses that we've known for a long time, and that is, uh, for reasons which are not perfectly clear, there are some ideas of why it might be. Uh, getting infected with a coronavirus does not lead to long-lived immunity. You know, like if you get measles once, you won't get it again the rest of your life. Yeah, that's not true for coronaviruses. I guarantee you've had colds caused by coronaviruses over and over and over. It's about two years, maybe. So what is the benefit of getting booster shots over and over and over again? That's if it, exactly it. If it's just going to continue to mutate. That's why you need them. It's why you have to get a flu shot every year. But I never get a flu shot. Well, I got the flu once and now I get a flu shot. Huh. It was that bad. It's huh. about the only time I ever got close to calling 911 for myself. Because I couldn't breathe. 
Yeah, so now I get a flu shot. But that's why we do it. Is yeah, but you can still mutates. get the flu. I can, but it's much less likely. And if I do get it, it's it's likely to be less severe. Severe, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's the thing that I don't quite understand. If it's constantly mutating, there's no way for you to ever fully be free of it. Oh, absolutely. The microbes aren't going away. But I mean, if, if the flu strain is different every year, you could still get it no matter what. Um, okay, so with this new type of vaccine, that's going to get even less likely. So the way the, the old-fashioned uh, flu vaccines took a very long time to cre- uh, create and prepare, so you had to pick what you were going to use months before the flu season started. You had to make a guess about what it would be because it just took so long to create them. You had to grow them in eggs and do all this isolation. But the RNA, uh, these these RNA vaccines, it is a few weeks. And um, you could possibly switch it like halfway through the flu season if you saw that there was a different mutant um, because the way... It, they're just the best vaccines ever. So cool, so safe, so effective. Um, the the way that they are uh, created, synthesized, allows you to modify them really quickly and then make a whole bunch of it really fast. Hmm. Just it's. Uh, I remember when people first started talking about this. Is the other thing people have been doing working on RNA vaccines for a decade as well. Um, it's not brand new. And actually, they were working on them for flu. <laughs> okay, so why is there so much hate for RNA? Why do you hear so much about how negative it is? Um, I, I, I don't know exactly. I, I don't know. I, I truly don't know. There was, you know, some, uh, I, I think years ago, there, there have always been people who didn't like vaccines, anti-vaxxers, and they would all just talk to each other in that little community. And now, right, you can get, you can, anybody can say anything, and millions of people can hear it pretty quickly. And um, there, there's uh, a number of people who like to believe in all kinds of conspiracies, and some of those same people, I don't know, what they just decided this was actually gene therapy. Again, maybe they could take a biology class and learn how it's not. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure why. I don't really get why this particular vaccine. Well, it has something to do with manipulating your your genetic code. No, 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 okay. no, okay. no, no, okay, no, um, no. The uh, this gets a little bit complicated, but um, your genes are. Are, your genes are DNA, and they're in what's called the nucleus of the cell. It's a little, you know, sack in there. And then a copy of each gene is made into RNA, which gets sent out to the cytoplasm. Doesn't go back. It's a one-way trip. Okay. Okay. So the way the RNA vaccine works is it's in a little uh, vesicle that fuses with your cell. So now that RNA is in the cytoplasm where it's supposed to be. Doesn't go into the nucleus and mess with your genes. Stays okay. in, and it just gets used to convert into proteins that are viral proteins, not the whole virus, just the proteins that the cell can then put on their surface to say to the immune system, see these, these are bad, you should make antibodies to them. Okay. But it, and that 
I hate to say it, that cell is going to die. That cell that you, that's why your armor is so much, I think. Some, a few cells will die. <laughs> Just a but couple. But you, well, you've got about 50 trillion. Mm-hmm. So you could probably, we could, you, you could probably. Well, you have, you have cells dying all the time, don't you? Correct. Yeah. And these are a, a handful of cells that might get destroyed by your immune system because your immune system is thinking, oh, it's a virus infection. We should kill that cell. And then they have these memory cells afterwards. So if you ever see it again, but no, it does nothing to your genes. Okay. Nothing. It's And it disappears because RNA gets degraded by your cells. The entire vaccine has disappeared within 24 to 48 hours after your shot. It's gone. It does all it needs to do within that amount yeah. of time? Yeah. It triggers the immune response. That's what it needs and to do. And then there's no trace of it in your body. Right. Hmm. It's, this is what I'm trying to say. Hmm. Um, but because it kind of mimics a virus infection, because the virus would send RNA in there and make proteins... It would make a whole virus particle. This only just makes a few proteins. But because it kind of mimics the way a real virus infection would work, sort of, it triggers a better, more effective immune response. Okay, so be a mad scientist for a second. How would somebody use this negatively? Wow. Use this negatively. Uh, All these people that say it's such a horrible thing. I don't get it. Um, it. I, uh, wow, what could you do? Well, it wouldn't be a vaccine. I mean, you could put, oh my gosh, I don't know. I guess you could put some, could you put an RNA in the vesicle, get people to sit down so you could inject them with it that produced a protein, just the protein that was toxic. It would be easier to just poison people. <laughs> this is a hard way to do this. Um, I, I don't get it. I was so shocked when I heard that. The, the only thing that I thought is um, the, the previous president of the United States uh, talked about, they were talking about, what, what was the name of the project, project, whatever, but it made it sound like it was all happening very fast. Right, and I when I warp speed, warp speed. When I first heard it, I thought, mm, I don't know if I want to be one of the first people. And I've volunteered for vaccine trials before, um, but then I read more about it, and I realized it's not new at all. There's so much research into this. All they did, they had all of this. They just sat, just were waiting for the sequence of this particular viral protein to put in there. It there'd been some trials. It wasn't. It wasn't that fast. Okay. It just wasn't. Um, and then a bunch of people volunteered um, to for the first trials. More, They had more people in the trials than has ever been in a vaccine trial before. We got a ton of data. And uh, then we heard people saying, well, we don't know what the long-term effects will be. Well, kind of by definition, there aren't long-term effects of vaccines. All of them go away very quickly. Um, there can be side effects from vaccines. There have been people who have died from vaccines. Um, and you will know that within days. Okay, maybe a few weeks. That's it. There's, there's, there just aren't any long-term effects because they're gone. So you think that, that some form of virus will be what brings us down? You think that's what we're looking at? Um, 
yes, and uh, not because it will kill all the humans. Um, if you look at what COVID did to the worldwide economy, yeah, that's what will happen. You don't have to kill everybody. You need to disrupt things enough. Um, if if you had in the United States a hundred people with Ebola who all ended up in hospitals, those hundred hospitals, let's say they went to different ones. I don't know why they're all spread out. They would sh have to shut down because it's so deadly. There's all these downstream effects. You could destroy a society long before you've killed everybody. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and I think the, the biggest thing that we're fighting with that's destroying society is mind viruses. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's exactly. It's pretty easy to uh, to poison people's minds right now. It is, and um, uh, so we, yes, we can uh, move into the sort of political uh, realm. But here is a deal: it, it if you think about this, um, the fear response in humans is pretty strong. It it evolved. There was a lot of natural selection to have a really good fear response. If you weren't afraid of the saber-toothed tigers, um, there wouldn't. It was if there wasn't a good fear response, there wouldn't be eight billion people on Earth right mm -hmm. now. Um, many of us live in such security and safety. We might not think about it, but you know, we're we're not attacked by saber-toothed tigers all the time. We're not just open to the environment all the time. Uh, so that fear response is strong. And if you get a political party that decides that that is the best way to get people elected is to is to trigger that fear response in people. Yeah, I that think that works pretty well. I think people also don't because we're not running away from the saber-toothed tigers, we're we're searching for meaning in different ways and life is really not that hard. Compared to every other person that's lived in our history, our life is very easy. It's unbelievable. We're just looking for conflict all the time. It's gross. Um, again, for if you, if you want to set, um, people will argue with this and I don't really care. Let's set anatomically modern humans at a quarter of a million years ago, okay? Um, or more or less, I don't want to get into an argument about exactly when humans that are, you know, had language and were sort of like us, let's say have a quarter of a million years. For most of that time, and I mean 99.99% of that time, and still in many places, um, survival was tough. Not just the saber-toothed tigers. Getting enough calories to exist till the next day was not easy. Just survival. And there was fighting other, other organisms, including other humans, for those resources to live another day. So... What happens over time, there's selective pressure for the behaviors that allow people to survive and reproduce. That's how evolution through natural selection works. So the ones who survived weren't so fearful they couldn't do anything, but they were pretty darn alert and they were pretty aggressive. And now suddenly, stop doing that. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Stop being fearful. Don't be aggressive. There's calories everywhere. You're warm. You're happy. You should be happy. Everything is fine. But that's all still there. <laughs> all those gene variants that led to those kinds of behaviors mm -hmm. were there for and selected for for 
tens of, well, no, uh, millions of years. And now in overdeveloped countries, they're not as useful. It's sort of the, it turns out the genetic variants that lead to a susceptibility to type 2 diabetes are actually found in most humans because they're really advantageous um, when you don't have very much food. Yeah, something but about... now they're not. Fat calories? Yeah. Sugar I mean, calorie? What is it? Yeah. So again, um, when you are trying to survive, uh, fats and carbs are great, right? You want lots of fat and carbs because you're not going to... Who knows when you're going to get your next meal? Also, you're going to eat yourself silly when you got that mastodon or whatever. You're going to eat yourself silly. And it's good to pack on pounds because you may have to lose them. But when you have just a constant supply of calories, those aren't really good strategies any longer. No, and it makes me wonder, too, if we're not creating more mental illness and, and more depression and more psychological issues because we don't have anything to do. We're just, like, trying to find something to do. I, I sometimes think about that, that... Um, do you suppose that Paleolithic humans um, sat around being depressed? Well, those people died very quickly and did not reproduce. <laughs> yeah. Anxiety, yes, but the anxiety was for a reason, right? And you did something to 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 kill that mammoth or you know and eat it, right? So, uh, yeah, we have these. We still have all the stress chemicals, the ones that were fabulous for running away from the saber-toothed tiger, um, but we don't have anything to do with them. Um, we, they come up when somebody cuts you off in traffic, but then there's nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty weird spot to be in where we have things so easy, but no one's happy. <laughs> or I mean, yeah. relatively speaking, yeah. no one's happy. It's like, I don't know, I don't know where it goes. And that's like, I guess like the ongoing conversation I have with everybody. I don't know where it goes right now because it's, things are so good, but they're also so bad. Um, we may be heading into uh, a scenario where some of those behaviors become useful again um, as it becomes harder to, to live as... Um, as the temperature goes up and crops die, and um, this may have been just our little golden spot here, mm -hmm. and we might be going off the other side. Um, I'm not. I'm not a doomsayer. As like we're all gonna die, but thing things happen, um, and global warming is a thing, um, and it it it's accelerating, and a lot of the places where people live will not be livable anymore. We will have climate refugees. This is going to happen. And I, I sometimes, uh, I get this, but I sometimes uh, think when people, you hear people say, well, the seas will rise by a foot, whatever it is, by 2050. I think people think that everything will be fine till 2049. Yeah. That's not how that works, right? Um, but this is another thing too. Humans are not good at long-term planning because we never had to be. We just had to make it another day. It was such a big deal to get to the next day, the next week. 
we didn't have selective pressure for planning 50 years ahead. I think things accelerate so fast technologically, we can't perceive what, it's kind of like when you say Elon has $150 billion, no one knows what that means. That is a ridiculous amount of money. You can't fathom what it is. No. So when somebody says the sea will rise a foot by 2050, like that seems like a million years in the future. It is, yeah. And again, there was no selective pressure to be able to think that far, to plan that far ahead for humans. There just wasn't. Mm -hmm. You never had to do that. Also, you didn't have to do that because there weren't very many humans, right? Eight billion is very different than eight million. Well, yeah. I don't think we're designed to, to uh, experience this thing with this many people. No, we were really, things were, were, were villagers. We really are, we're villagers. And we try to make villages, right? Even in our cities, we try to recreate our, um, people call it tribalism, but it, yeah, it, we're, we're really good, um, really good. There's not, no conflict, but you know, up to maybe 500 you can, everybody can stand there and vote, right? Uh, we're good at that. You'd know everybody. Sounds weird. Um, and then you could work with other little villages. But um, yeah, those kinds of numbers, uh, 150 billion. It's sort of like when I talk about infectious diseases. When I say how fast they mutate, how many there are, the numbers don't even make any sense, right? Um, they're just not, because we're not talking about billions, I mean, in a drop of water, I'm sure this water is fine, but in a drop of water, you can have, um, it's not billions or trillions or quadrillions or quintillions or sextillions of bacteria, and it would still look pretty clear. Our bodies are just so good at filtering it out, it doesn't matter? Um, yes, there, there's a couple of things there. We do have that acid in our stomach, plus we have our own, our gut microbes, right? Our, our own personal uh, microbiota, without which we could not live. Um, and they fight a lot of them off for us. They don't like outsiders. Mm -hmm. And we have an immune system. It's not, it's, 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 um, I, I, I'm not too happy with people who say, I don't need to ever take antibiotics or vaccines because my immune system will kill everything. It's like, well, no, that's not true. But it's not bad. That's why there's 8 billion people on Earth. It's not bad, but evolution through natural selection does not, it is not working towards something that's the best. It's just good enough. And that's exactly what our immune system is. Good enough. It's okay. Well, it's, it's kind of depressing to say it this way, and this is how I always say it. The earth doesn't care. The earth, the earth will go on for six, eight, 10 billion more years. They don't, it, mother earth does not care about us. We are not important. No. And I don't think people fully understand that. There's there's a couple of things. One is I, I kind of really don't like the, the, oh, we have to do these things to save the earth. The earth will be fine. We cannot really destroy the earth. No. We can destroy us. And I, I do think, and it is very hard, this is such an existential thing, but I think there are a lot of people who truly can't fathom that the species, Homo sapiens, could go extinct. Oh, we absolutely will. Oh, yeah, because every species goes extinct at some point. There are, we have some that are pretty old, but they all go extinct. 
Well, and see, I'm not, I'm not a proponent of not saving the sea turtles or whatever, but a part of me is like, they're not going to make it forever. I'm not saying go to the beach and punch them in the face, but they're not going to make it. Everything's going to die. Right. You can't save everything. Right. It sucks to say it that way, but it's true. Um, it, it, it's, I, I find it, um, is it distressing when uh, there are species that have now gone extinct because of the um, stupidness of humans? It's mm-hmm. just like, you know, well, we just don't, you know, we're just going to kill them. I don't quite get that now. Um, there is a, here's a true statement. In order for us to live, other living things must die. That's the second law of thermodynamics requires that, except for a few bacteria that can live on rocks. But everything else, that's how it works. You can choose. Some people get like us, who are, we are, in fact, quite wealthy. If you, if you think about the world, we are very wealthy. You probably get to choose what you eat. So you could choose to eat plants. They're still living things that died so that you could live. That's just the way it works. There's, you can't not have that happen. There's no way around that. You can't be a breatharian. It's just not going to work. Yeah, I mean, that's the argument against vegans. Uh, you still, like you said, you got to eat something that's alive. So I, my, my argument here is, but maybe we don't need to foul our own nest. So some of the ways we obtain our food are actually le- are actually going to accelerate the potent the well, the eventual extinction of humans of humans. Maybe we don't have to do some of the things that we do that are that are causing so much more um, methane to go into the atmosphere and it's sort of accelerating. Also, not just the extinction, but it's not going to be pleasant. Yeah. Um, so. Vegan vegetarianism, eating this—it's—it is maybe just be a little more thoughtful about what the what the consequences are for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I sometimes so I am uh, uh, I am I don't eat meat. Um, huh. It's just you know there's and there's well, a that, whole bunch that of that comment reasons. was an attack on you. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, I people get I I I'm not one of those people who. Uh, you know, attacks other people for what they eat most of the time. Um, and, you know, like if somebody serves meat, I can eat stuff that touched it. Um, I just get to choose what I eat yeah. because I get to choose. And so I eat the things that I like for a variety of reasons. Um, uh, not sure where I was going to go. See, I got off on that on that tangent about why I'm... Uh, uh, but people can eat all kinds of different things around the world and not have such an effect on the planet. This idea that Americans need to have infinite numbers of, of $1 hamburgers is not going to do well for us, has nothing to do with being vegan or not. That's just not going to work. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> it's really a... a, a consideration of supply and demand. And if everybody switched to vegan tomorrow, we wouldn't be able to grow enough plants. You, There's just too many people. That is actually um, not entirely You think true. we could grow enough plants to feed everybody? Well, uh, most of our plants now go to uh, not humans. They go to non-human okay. animals who concentrate it, and we get far less food out of those animals. Sure. Um, but, and again, I'm not vegan, 
So um, I think that people should think a little bit more about, because um, plants aren't the best protein source necessarily. There's there's lots of protein in plants and he, Americans eat way too much protein anyway. Um, but there's a lot of good sources for protein, you know, insects. And I don't, I don't eat insects because I, I, yes, I'm squeamish, but I've eaten, uh, you know, chips. I've eaten food made from like cricket flour. Tastes fine. I, I've been listening to some things recently about eating bugs, but then then you get into if you eat all the bugs, then there's going to be too many aphids because the bugs eat the aphids. Like the the uh, yes the the food chain is what it is it because is, it yes. is what it is. Yes. So you can't. It's kind of like when uh, I mean, if you go to your house and you kill all the spiders, then you're going to have other bugs because you kill Absolutely. all the spiders. Absolutely. Um, I think here what you'd have to do is is farm them. Mm-hmm. So you would not be taking them from the environment. There would still be bugs in the environment. You would grow bugs not in the environment, not out in the world mm-hmm. to eat. Mm-hmm. Rather than I don't think hunting and gathering of crickets is going to work. <laughs> wow. Um, I don't know, but, but yeah, again, part of the problem is there's there's a lot of people. There are a lot of people. I've been reading things right lately now. though that they're concerned that the population is going down. And that seemed to blow my mind. There are a few people who are concerned about that. Um, a lot of people are not concerned about that. The, the people I've heard who are concerned about that are often the people who have a lot of money and they make money off of selling things to other people. And yeah. they want more people to buy their stuff. Yeah, that's an inherent issue in the system that every year there has to be positive growth. Which, it, you know, that I don't, are there people who don't get that's not possible? Yeah, you can't do for that. For infinite, forever? You yeah. you can't. With it, There's nothing. Um, yeah, it is a, humans are so strange about this that we just, everything has to be bigger and better and bigger and better and more. It was a good and system it, for a hundred years, but now we. But even then, no, it was. It's never been. There has since. So not when we're talking about you know a few people in villages that were hunters and gatherers or maybe pastoralists. But since there have been cities and economies, um, it has never worked. It has always been boom and bust. It's always cycle after cycle after cycle. But this time will be different. It changed, though. I'm trying to think. I want to say the Industrial Revolution. Seems like it was different before then. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and that was, what, 1850s, 1860s, 70s, somewhere in there. Right. And people, um, urban became the thing instead of rural. I mean, and and it took a while to get the complete changeover, but that's when it changed, yes. And that's also when wealth became more concentrated. Of course, yeah. Before that, I mean, there there were rich people kings and, and queens and stuff like that. But no, it, you you couldn't be a rich, regular person before the Industrial Revolution. No, not not really. Yeah. You had a few um, leaders, you know, that, that had wealth. Even then, the concentration of wealth is nothing like it is now, right? It just, it just wasn't. First of all, there wasn't as much wealth because there weren't as much thought. There wasn't as much stuff. People were still uh, uh, trying to get food. That's what most of everything was. Mm-hmm. So whether you were a blacksmith 
or whatever it was, or a farrier, or it, whatever you were, a mason. It was still all about getting food. Most people were employed in growing food, animals or plants. That's what most humans did until the Industrial Revolution, and for a while after. That's mm -hmm. what most people did. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it just gets into like the really philosophical question of what what is it? What are we doing? And at that point in time, there was no reason to really learn anything. I mean, you, you could have the desire to, and maybe you could find a book somehow or something, but really all you had to do was get food and not die. Yes, um, and we... Uh, it is, yes, that is true. There's one thing I think that is kind of interesting um, is that if you look particularly, oh, even I was going to say in the last 2,000 years, there have been uh, a number of amazing inventions and discoveries and inventions. And I think some of it had to do with people at time. So um, my brother, um, who is a veterinarian and a college professor, but he also farms with draft horses. And when I say farms with draft horses, I mean they don't have motorized um, equ farm equipment. Tractors, yeah. So when you are plowing or haying with horses, um, you do a couple rows, and then you just have to stop because the horses have to you know, take a break. And you sit there. You just, and, the, uh, you know, for hundreds of years, you didn't play on your phone. You just sat there. And a lot of people sat there and looked around, and some of those people said, you know, if we just did X, Y, or Z, this would be better. Uh, that's how all the non-motorized equipment got developed, is mm -hmm. people actually think just because they had time because of the way things worked you you couldn't work that fast it wasn't until their factories that people worked frantically because you couldn't um and that's when people i mean that's when people came up with all the principles of mathematics for crying out loud all so much of the astronomy that we know because they had time um and they thought stuff up um and then a few people took that, and then we start getting factories. And, you know, it, it seems like a good idea at the time. And and then maybe it goes too far. I don't know exactly. But but there's no way to really stop any of that. No. The, I mean, it's, it's the nature of humans is to constantly get something, to yes. constantly uh, accumulate or at least achieve. And I don't know that that's bad. No, and they ha again, for most of modern human history, you had to get, it was food most of the time, but, and clothes, that's all, you, that's what you were focused on. You had, and you needed more. There was never enough. There was mm -hmm. never enough. And again, that's still here in our heads. Um, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's just what we get now is um, a lot of junk to, Put in our front yards at Christmas, I guess. I, there's a, there's a, but you have to somehow, and that, and our economy is now built on that instead of on food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the biggest issue is that things are profit driven, and that's what I always say is that 
you cannot fix anything unless somebody can make money off of it. You can't fix the homeless problem unless somebody can find a way to make money. You can't fix global warming unless somebody makes a lot of money. There's no real incentive for anything to happen. That's what it's all driven by. I think, I, yeah, I think that's Money and right. Power. And it, it actually is one of the things that annoyed me a lot um, uh, when I was taking environmental law in law school, um, which was a terrible class to take because, boy, is that depressing. Um, but uh, learning more about the early environmental movement, and I'm talking about in the, probably the 50s, 60s, early 70s. So there were people before that. But the Early, many of the early environmentalists um, were white males with money. You know, they didn't have to get a job. They had a trust fund. And so you get people who wanted to preserve nature kind of for themselves. They didn't, there didn't have to be a profit motive because they just, this was, the, this was their thing. And so we were going to save spotted owls. And, and they didn't, first of all, think about any marginalized populations at all. They didn't care anything about what was happening in poor neighborhoods. They just wanted, you know, Yosemite. Um, and they ruined the environmental movement because they pitted it against the economy. Um, and I, I don't want, I like spotted owls, so I don't want them to go away, but you can't tell people who actually aren't making enough money to feed their children that they have to care about a spotted owl. Yeah. Life is about priorities and. And, and there are many people on earth who are still in the same place as our ancestors, right? They're all over the earth. There are people who are just getting to the next day, to the next day, to the next day. Mm -hmm. um, and they can't be bothered with the beauty of a national park um, just for that. Um, and unfortunately, I feel sometimes like it's too late to undo that because if the, the first environmentalists had sold this as this is going to help you, um, if you if you change the way you are logging or whatever, you can make more money because the, the trees will grow better the second time. It's sold it that way, profit motive, instead of there's these little fish in the Klamath, Klamath River that everybody should care about. Um, and I have the luxury of caring about them, but not a lot of people, not everybody does. Mm -hmm. So that kind of annoyed me about that. Um, and I think it's too late. Now it's too late. You can't undo all of that bad feeling towards the environmental movement. It's a tough situation. Plus, everything just gets politicized. And like you said, people, the majority of people don't have time to really care about things because they got to make money to feed their kids That's and pay right. their mortgage or whatever. Yeah. And, and buy more stuff. <laughs> that they're convinced to buy because I haven't, I live out in the country and we haven't had television for about 15 years, no streaming. There was, we had no. What do you do? Well, we just got our, our from Elon <laughs> Musk, we just got our Starlink. Nice. Dishy McFlatface. And um, it's been really nice for work because 
I, there were times when it was so slow, I would have to drive all the way to work to check my email. It's ridiculous. And now I can do all this stuff at home, but we have television again, uh, which I haven't had for 15 years. And I like sports, so that's pretty fun. Wow. There's a lot of commercials. I had no, I mean, I remember commercials, but wow. They're coming back. They're, I don't think they're on Netflix yet, but they're, they're on a bunch of the this other is streaming just, we services. We have just like YouTube uh, TV and we don't pay any extra for not having commercials. Um, but you, uh, I can imagine how dissatisfied you would be with your life. If you watch these, it's like, man, my house should be better. My car should be better. This is, you know, I'm, I am falling behind. Yeah. The, the ability of the geniuses behind any marketing to make you think that you need something. Oh, yeah. They're so good. They are. Yeah. It, it's, unless you're really paying attention and thinking about it, I, I mean, I'll, I'll catch myself sometimes. I'll be like, I don't even need that, but I really want it now. Yeah. 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 It is uh it is an interesting thing. And it has become I because I'm I'm old. I remember the commercials from the early 60s where they basically just came on and told you about their product. Um and the the learning curve of people advertisers about how to manipulate your thought has certainly evolved mm -hmm. uh, in ways. You're right. You're just like, no, I'm immune to this. It's like, oh, wow, look at that. Yeah. it's uh, And we, even on NPR, um, you hear them talking about, well, the economy is picking up because people are consuming more. And I just think this is this yeah. is not the way this is going. No, this NPR, cannot work. <laughs> they're they're not immune to any of it. No, either. no. But when I hear that, it's like, wow, everybody's just been that's everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid now. Yeah. That that is the only way we can succeed is to have people buy stuff, more stuff, more expensive stuff, work more to get more stuff. I don't think that works long term. Yeah, I don't know that it does, but it permeates everything yep. and it it changes too for for the next generation. And that's the thing that I've been grappling with recently is I feel like you you purposely try to distance yourself from your parents and as soon as your parents like something, it's not cool anymore. Uh, like I always think of Facebook, like as soon as your grandparents got on Facebook, like Facebook's not cool We're now. Done. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and it was, oh, yeah. it was, I mean, it still is one of the largest companies, but at one point it was like one of the most important companies ever. There's all this focus on distancing yourself from those that have come before you. Mm -hmm. The generational changes are so great. And I mean, marketing plays into that too, because there's different ways now that I don't fully understand that you can target kids. Oh, it's un I'm I'm shocked at the targeted. I mean, because when I was a little kid, um, there were commercials, you know, before about two weeks before uh, Christmas that would show a bunch of toys. That was about it. That yeah. was tar that was the entire targeting of children. Um, oh, and some sugary cereals. Um, it is it is amazing, and it is it is everywhere. 
right? I mean, it's it's embedded in in all the the social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's all over the place, and um, because people are so connected to to their individual devices, it become because things can become targeted specifically to you, it's almost like we're on a new frontier for a lot of that stuff. Because like you said, um, years ago, you may, you may have only had three networks, you know, NBC, ABC, CBS. Oh, that's right. And if you wanted to sell a product, you had to get it on one of those. Mm -hmm. And now it's so weird because you, you're fighting for people's attention. I mean, that's really what it is. You're just, you're trying to get someone's attention but the ability of that algorithm to specifically point to you with all the data that they have is is a really weird thing yeah you used to have to broadcast it out to everybody and hope that it hit your target audience you know and they would do there was there was some you know it's like well lawrence welk show mostly it's older people or captain kangaroo is mostly it's younger people but now it's it's very narrowly focused so that people don't even have to hear it if it's not targeting them. Mm-hmm. Um, it and that then when you click on that, you get they get that right away. When you were when I was a kid watching television, they didn't know who was in the room <laughs> and if you were paying any attention. But yeah. now you click on it. So they know you paid attention to it, and they'll give you more of that. Well, that's the scary thing about what uh, Meta is doing as well, is they'll track your eyes while you're wearing the glasses, and then they can accumulate data on that and figure out what you looked at, Right, which is an insane level of technology to be able to... To yes. tear apart a human mind and figure out what they like based on where their eyes, eyes went. Go. Well, and they were even doing that before that in that uh, you didn't have to click on it if you were pausing. Yes. Uh, YouTube it. still does that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, and it was uh, – well, it is it is funny because what I look at, um, I get – because I click on things and I get more apparently <laughs> – I don't click on the things that send you down the QAnon rabbit hole. I get um, roller coasters and dogs. Well, that's good. <laughs> it is. And I watch them during faculty meetings because they make me happy. Um, although it doesn't sell me very much stuff. So I'm not, I'm pretty much not their target audience. Um, what's amazing to me is how much money is spent on all of that. Um, and, and I realize it's the profit motive, but if you took just, I mean, you just need a little bit of the money that is going towards the development for all of these kinds of devices and ways to track people. Uh, you could, in fact, probably so- solve homelessness and you could solve a number of childhood diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't didn't give anybody, nobody any money, so it won't happen. All I'm saying is it's stunning to me how much money is spent on the development of those types of technologies. Yeah, the the priority structure is, is kind of messed up. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense how we have 60 or $80 billion or whatever they sent to Ukraine when we have people sleeping in tents in downtown Portland. Seems like there's, there's always money for the things that can profit, allow profits for other people. It's kind of like when we were given, uh, I forget what the number was. It was like $2 trillion during COVID. 
and all the PPP loans and all that kind of stuff, there's always money for specific things. But then when there's like a real societal issue, um, it doesn't exist anymore. Yes. Um, and this is, I, I, I'm just going to, I think that there's a lot of advertising, if you will, on this. So we'll send money to Ukraine because they're fighting Russia and we don't like Russia. Homeless people, let's be honest, they probably deserve it. I'm sorry. I think there's a lot of people that they they don't like it, but, and we should help. Like if there's some families out there, we could help them. But the drug addicts and, you know, there's there's a lot of people who feel that if you are addicted to anything, you know, okay, maybe it's a disease, but it's probably still your fault. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to, why would we give money to we? Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 because there's just there's I I just feel like there are a lot of people who still think that uh, there are people who are homeless because they just want to be homeless. That there is are, true for a very small percentage. I'm sure there are some people who enjoy it, but no, the majority of people sleeping on the streets are mentally ill. Yes, and and this can't... one we can lay at the feet of because I was living in California at the time, Ronald Reagan. Yeah, so. Uh, when I was living in Berkeley, the People's Republic, Berkeley, um, it was after this. But when Ronald Reagan was the governor of California, um, there was a push to get people out of mental institutions. I'm a fan. I, that there was that was not a great thing to have all of these people being put in these institutions where things weren't so great. So the idea was we'll take a bunch of those people who don't who who are who are not as seriously ill, and we will return them to um, more community-based care. There will be halfway houses. So everybody said, this is a great idea. So closed a bunch of the institutions, released all these people, but then there wasn't money for the community-based treatment or the housing for people because that just didn't happen. And... um, Homelessness blew up in California. Well, I wonder what his incentive was. What did he think? Why? He thought people would enjoy that, that he was doing the right thing. He was trying to open up those mental institutes to be other types of businesses. I don't understand what his motive was. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know. But closing the mental institutions, they were all publicly funded. Yeah. Oh, is tax dollars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And then not going to spend tax dollars to do anything afterwards. And then by the time that people were out there, everybody was, was upset about homelessness then. But by then, you know, he was president. and Yeah. And the, <laughs> the, the problem is most significant in LA. There's like 80,000 homeless people yes. in LA. Yeah. It's brutal. Yes. And it's, it's, I mean, you can't do anything about that. 80,000 people. 80,000 people. Yeah. Well, right. But again, I I think uh, too many people just want them gone. They don't want any money. They don't want their tax dollars spent on it. They just want them gone. Um, and that is, that's not going to work either. And I, um, I, I don't like complaining about stuff if I don't have some suggestions. I don't know that they'll work, but you know, it's just, bitching about something um there but i hear what i would say is that there's not one answer 
and because um, th- th- all the homeless people aren't the same. There are families who lost jobs. There are mentally ill people. There are people struggling with addiction. There are some people who just don't want to live in a house. That's a pretty small number, and we wouldn't have a homeless problem if that was all. But the ways to fix those three, those or more groups isn't the same, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, if we just got them into housing, everything would be fine. Well, no. If we just got them all jobs, if we just got them, I, you know, it's... Uh, and I don't think some people realize how close they might be to homelessness. I, I think about how I'm so lucky. I am a... To, for me to be homeless, um, I would have to lose everything I own and my family, all my family members would have to lose everything they own because we all just go to each other's houses, not friends, uh, people who have farms we could live on. I'm just so far from homelessness, but that's not true for everybody. Some mm-hmm. people, they don't, there's nobody else except them. They don't have a family or whatever to mm-hmm. support them. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that as I was driving here today about how fortunate I am to have a body that works, to have a mind that works, to have, uh, the ability to work and make money that there's a lot of factors that go into just being a regular person that isn't in some sort of mental institute for some reason, yeah. isn't sleeping on the streets, isn't yeah. committing crimes. Yeah. <laughs> and I was lucky uh, growing up, you know, everybody's family has whatever issues they have, but um, I never came home from school um, wondering if my parents had been deported. Mm-hmm. I never, we, from the time I was five years old, my mother took me to school the first day. Um, and then after that, I walked to school by myself, five years old. It, and I went and looked it up on a map. It was where I lived a long time ago, <laughs> just to see how far it was. Yeah. And it was about six tenths of a mile. Um, and you were five years old? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody just walked it. And I was never afraid um, it, because I was in a safe place. Nothing, it's not as though nothing, you know, people got hit by cars. Stuff happened, but not really very much. I didn't live in fear. Um, uh uh, very much, right? Um, did bad things happen in our family when we were growing up? Yeah, my mom almost died um, and had a chronic disease, but we were still, we had par- grandparents who came and took care of us. We always had a house to live in. We had food. So lucky. My parents had both gone to college. I was going to go to college. I paid for it myself back when you could do that. Um, uh, gosh, the opportunities I've had there's a lot of people who have those and they still think that they're screwed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's such a weird scenario to just be who you are because you could be born anywhere at any point in time in you know you could be born in the Congo and have to mine cobalt for batteries for Teslas. Like there's so many different possibilities. Yeah. And I don't know that people fully recognize that all the time. Like, you're not always fully responsible for where you are. Just being born into uh, underneath the two people you were born to, that can dictate almost everything. I uh, 
a few times I've gotten into like, okay, yelling arguments um, are with some people, particularly, you know, well-off white males who were saying, you know, if people just visualized it, you know, if they just tried hard, they could be anything they want to be. And I'm like, that's insane. Should we just go to pick your favorite war-torn country right now and just tell those people to just think their way out of it? Just sends me around the bend. Yeah. Um, which is why, as I get older, I'm a socialist. Um, I vote Democrat because that's how it is. I have to register as a Democrat here. But I am truly a socialist. And are you ready for this? Open all the borders. All the time. Just open them. Our founding fathers could not imagine having closed borders. That just wasn't a thing. Well, they'll all just flood here. No, they want most people like to live where they live, to be honest. They really do. They like where they live. We've screwed up some neighboring countries. That's why they're coming here. But I was born um, about 80 miles north of an artificial line. And so I'm an American. I did nothing to be an American. I didn't serve in the military. I did nothing. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I have the right to, to tell other people where they can go, how they can work, I just that's just amazing to me. I was so lucky. That's all, nothing. I didn't do anything mm -hmm. to have all these advantages. Mm -hmm. Growing up, I've worked since then, but I didn't do anything. How you, is that fair? Do you think? Do you think borders are necessary anyway? I, anywhere? I've realized I'm apparently not like most other people. No, I find it so weird. I find countries bizarre. I just find them weird. I don't get it. <laughs> do you think that do you think that we could survive if all the states broke their lines? Um, so this is something I've been thinking about more in the last six years um, about the United States and whether or not it will survive. It's um, it it's too big and complex. The United States, just the United States. Um, it is, is big. Like all of Europe, how many countries are there? And we are just one country. And if you've traveled around the United States, when you go to different places, um, it's different. It, and sometimes you feel like you're in a different country. For sure. And it, you just got, you went to New Orleans. I have been there and not been able to understand what people were saying. So it's, even though we're all speaking English, um, I don't, think the United States is governable as currently configured. I don't, I don't see how you do it. I don't see that either, but that's that's the thing is that if we and I I'm not a proponent of anything. I'm just throwing out ideas. If I mean ideally we didn't have a border anywhere and people could just move around. Move around and be okay. The problem is there's so many different opinions on the right way to do it. I know. I, I I say that I don't. It won't happen. In the United States, I think you might have to have it at another border. I I wonder if, um, I say this adding another layer of government, which is crazy. But maybe we need regional. You know, because there's region there. There's states. But there's also regions mm -hmm. that have some similar issues. And maybe if there was something between each state and just this federal government where 435 people are going to decide for everybody, mm -hmm. I don't care how 
how hard they try, if they're all with the very best of intentions, I don't know how you do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I've had this conversation with my uncle who's a Buddhist and just full of love, and he he doesn't like anything that's divisive, like most of us. And I'm always just like, well, let let Texas secede. Let uh, the, the West Coast become, what is the thing? Cascadia. Cascadia. Let that happen. Let's see where people go and let's see how things turn out. But there's, there are people who are so stuck on the idea of the 50 of us remaining as a thing. It's, it's blasphemy to talk about splitting it up. But I'm kind of like, let's see what happens. It is interesting because I was born when it was not 50 yet. Yeah. So we got to keep it at 50. It's like, it hasn't been 50 that long. Just saying, <laughs> just saying. Um, so there's no reason why it has to be 50. It could be 51 or 52, or it could be 12. There's, um, no, I'm, yes, I'm one of those, like, Texas wants to secede, fine. Um, half of Oregon wants to join Idaho. Good luck with that. Mm -hmm. um, I'm fine with it. They might be surprised yeah, when they I, join Idaho. Well, and I want, I have, Cascadia patches on things. Yes. I think I think both sides would be surprised. I oh, think Oh yes. <laughs> I think I, I don't really subscribe to either side. I have a lot of left-leaning principles, uh, but I'm more of just like somewhere in between. And I'm kind of like I think there's too much animosity and I think there's too much of people trying to say we're right, you're wrong. And I kind of just want to be like, let's see. If right. Texas thinks they're right, let's see. Yeah. If Cascadia thinks they're right, let's Give see. Give it a shot and see it, how it works. Yeah, you can't yeah. figure it out. I no. mean, because if those two things did happen, there's some stuff that Texas is going to be like, oh, God, we miss being a part of the United States. Cascadia is going to say the same thing. That's right. Maybe maybe every yes. homeless person in the country yes. moves to Cascadia. Yes. And because they're so lax on, on rules and laws and everything, it just becomes flooded with homeless people. Yes, it's just anarchy. And yeah. Yes. It, neither side is right. Right. It's not um, all 100% one way. This is so interesting you say this. I, I've, I've said a number of times that the only time I know that the person I'm talking to is wrong, absolutely wrong, about you know, monetary policy or borders or whatever is if they start whatever they're going to say by saying, it's simple. We just need to, and then I know they're wrong. <laughs> That's the only time I can guarantee yeah. that they're wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is, it. There, it's very difficult to figure out a good governing system for 8 billion people on earth. It just is. Um, but I'm, I said I was a socialist. I'm actually a libertarian socialist. You said you're sort of the middle. I'm at both far ends. <laughs> and if you go far enough, you actually meet on the other side, is go. what I say. Yeah. Um, and I say that because we need some labels. Um, but I, I'm, I'm kind of... I don't know. I am discouraged right now. Although I will say on Tuesday, I, go, going into this last Tuesday, election day, I, I said after it, I said it was sort of like, I feel like, oh, I've got to go in for a root canal today. And then when it was over, I was like, okay, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> and the part that made me the happiest was not that the Democrats are going to take, kept the Senate or whatever happened. My happiest part was hearing all the losers concede. That sounds terrible, but that's how it's supposed to work, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm always, it's so weird to say proud to be an American when you haven't done anything except be born here. Mm -hmm. um, but my proudest moment has always been Inauguration Day 
when the previous president sat, even if they lost, sat there with the person who's being sworn in, because that doesn't happen in so many countries. Mm-hmm. It has to be a death or an overthrow. Well, and typically they, they write a note and leave it on the desk, right? Right. Yes. And, that's, and invite them over for tea. Yeah. And so we had a little bit where that didn't happen. But, um, uh, but hearing all these people who lost their elections give concession speeches, that's how it works. Yeah. You lose, you lose. Yeah. And so uh, that heartened me a bit that maybe where people are going, wait a minute, yeah, that was a weird time, and we've got to get back to what we do here. Be cool. Um, uh, with, because I, I, I also said that I, I don't know why we pledge allegiance to the flag because I think that's it's cloth. I, I'm not, jo- I'm not joking. I think we should pledge allegiance to the Constitution because it's an amazing document and mm-hmm. it is unparalleled on Earth. To be honest, it's a good document, but the inability to change any part of it is going to ruin us. It is, and what's weird is that we changed it a lot up until, until the '70s. Oh, you're right, because the. Because I, I, when I started high school, I couldn't have voted when I finished yeah. high school, but I could. Yes. Um, but there, was, there were flurries, several flurries of, of changes. Um, but now, yes, it seems to be impossible to do anything. But it's still a pretty good document um, compared to even constitutions in, in other countries. It's, it's pretty cool. It's good stuff. I just wish they could they could change it a little bit more here and there. It seems too rigid right now, which the whole point was to make it difficult for some individual to come in and change everything. Yes. But I don't know that anybody ever perceived us being where we are right now. Couldn't have. Yeah. The the people who wrote that, there were there were less than a million people. In, the, in this little strip of land along the East Coast, they didn't even know what was in between. They literally did not know what was there. So could they have ima- Nobody could imagine this. No. Um, <laughs> which is why they actually, though, they were kind of did have some foresight to make it possible to change the Constitution. And there are people arguing that we need a constitutional convention um, will it happen? I don't know. Because that's what we need to stop doing. You know, just could we get one amendment through? How about we get all together and just take a look? And- well, part of the problem is you have people in power that would be required to initiate some of that change, and they're not going to do that. Of course not. Because, first off, I think there should be some sort of term limit for everyone, and there should be an age limit too. Yes, there should. You should not be tottering eighty on years any, old. Yeah, in Congress. Yeah, because or on the Supreme Court. Yeah, no. Yeah, what is it's a, it's a life appointee, right? It's a life appointee. Yeah. And again, when they, when the founding fathers wrote this, they really didn't imagine people living that <laughs> long. Know, right? It was fine because, and the um, the only thing I would say about term limits, which I'm a fan of, is they have to be long enough. And staggered enough that you don't lose all institutional memory. You you don't want to have an entirely brand new Congress every six years where nobody has ever been here before. Mm-hmm. That will not go well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there there should be uh, term limits. They should be longer, I think, than some people might 
think, um, because you you do want some you want continuity and new blood. You want both of those things, right? You want youth too. Yes, that want, new blood was my yeah. was my yeah. I suppose it could be somebody older. Yes, yes. You know, again, when I was a little kid, um, the first president I remember was the youngest president ever. JFK. Mm-hmm. I remember that, and there was there was kind of a youth move. Well, in the sixties there was a youth movement, um, and now, boy, I look at Congress. I'm like, this is it's like looking at like the crypt keeper, and <laughs> yeah, there and they're just they they don't even know anything else. They've been there so long. This is that this is what they do, and they're not giving it up for nothing, mm-hmm. and um, it's just calcified in there yeah it's it's not a good system because the the amount of stress one for being the president and two for any other position up in that uh uh branch the amount of stress that you have to deal with is not good for any person let alone somebody who is in retirement age when you're 80 years old you should be chilling at home with your grandkids. That's right. And, yeah. and, and you know, um, being part of that old uh, former president's club. Because, you know, they, they have done some things in the past where, um, you know, you can talk to them. They're around because they are not so old that they died immediately after they <laughs> died. But, yeah, if you look at every single president when they started and when they ended – they look way older than four or eight years old. Yeah, they always look it's, haggard. I mean, even Obama. Yeah, and he looked know. pretty youthful, right? Mm-hmm. And then it was like, what happened there? Oh, yeah, president. Um, so, yes, we. but the people, they're, they're just so ingrained in there, and they won't give it up. Yeah. Well, and I think the majority of people who attempt to be in one of those positions are not even the people you really want. It, it inspires a weird personality to go for that. And even more so now, um, there's a, a conservative writer named P.G. O'Rourke. I don't know if you've ever read it. He uh, wrote um, a book called Parliament of Whores. And he it, there's a great sentence in there that just says, we have the government we deserve. Um, and especially now, uh, this really started when there was television and more of that is – the only people who are going to run are the people who are willing to have that kind of scrutiny um, that that they didn't used to have. Maybe they should have, but it just every part of their lives, um, moment by moment. You know, I mean, early in the United States, uh, you could just walk up to the White House and knock on the door. And the first lady would answer it. Yeah. They and they to, were just people. Yeah. They used that's to throw they, parties. That's what they wanted it to yeah. be, right? Um, but now the the only people who are willing to go through that are, I don't know if they're egomaniacs, but you have to have uh, uh, an incredibly healthy ego and apparently very little shame um, to be able to put up with what it takes to get there. Well, I I also don't think that you can make it that far without compromising who you are. Right. Like, I think Obama was a great president, but I don't think he didn't do anything wrong. That's right. I don't think he's not getting money from people. 
Exactly. Uh, Citizens no United. I mean, that was probably one of the worst things that could ever happen to to our country. And there's no way they're going to take that back now. You can give as much money as you want to anyone, and it doesn't matter. And you don't even have to be a person no. to do it. No. Now, that was one of the um, – when I was in, in law school and reading, you know, all sorts of opinions, the ones that annoyed me the most were Antonin Scalia's because they were so good. And I would think, darn it, I don't want it to end this way, but this is so good. But he has – then I read two after I was um, – that I just – I. I feel like some like it was like a pod person took him over and wrote these, and that was Bush v. Gore and Citizens uh, United, because not only didn't I like the way they came out, when you read his reasoning, it's like, where did Antonin Scalia go? Because he was so good, he would write these opinions, and you're like, Michael, you're right. I can't. I wish it wasn't true, but it is right. But those two were garbage. It was, I was shocked because I had, even though I didn't agree with them, I had respect for him mm -hmm. because he was smart and he did follow the law, but those two were just garbage. Hmm. It was just, and they both had just lasting effects. Yeah. I remember a friend of mine talking about it when it went down, because I think it was in 2011, 2010, some, somewhere yeah. in the last 15 yeah. years or so. Yeah. And... I didn't realize that it was going to be that big a deal. And this guy is like super conspiracy theorist and very vocal about all things political. And I'm like, whatever, he's just talking about it. And no, that was a huge deal. It was, it was, it was like, it's over now. Yeah. We don't, this is not, um, this is not our America anymore. No. There was, um, you know, you can still do, you can still do local. Right. People, I mean, there's, you know, if you're the mayor of Forest Grove, you probably got elected the mayor of Forest Grove and you are really responsive because the people will come to your house. Um, but at the national, even state and national level, there's so much dark money. Yeah. You have, and, and people are pulling levers. Then there's, because there are people now, we talked about the, the amount of money that's concentrated in a very few people. They're the ones who are deciding. Just those people, they decide. Yeah. And you don't even know who they are. It we're not even talking about the Koch brothers. We're talking about people whose names you've never heard. Yeah, it's a bummer. Cause then it just it really makes you feel like unless there's a third party, fourth party, fifth party, or some dramatic change to the way we do it, I don't feel like it really matters. I feel like they're all compromised above. Above the, the city level, like what you're saying. Right. Very uh, local. They're not. But, senator, yeah. governor, yep, yep. representatives. I feel yep. like there's no way you... I couldn't run for one of those positions and not take money from someone. Well, I you could, win. but then you wouldn't win. Yeah. Right. You do, So anybody who actually really has that, they, they don't win, and then you're done. Um, there are... A, I think there are a handful of people in the House of Representatives who are from certain districts that might be, who are not rich, um, haven't taken a lot of money just because they could get elected because they're from a small state without very many people in it, right? And you could, but most of them, no, and no senators. Mm -hmm. There's no way. Um, and so, yeah, you're not, you're not really getting to vote for who you might want to vote for. And, um, the other thing was, I mean, our founding fathers did not anticipate a two-party system. They actually did not. Um, and the two-party system with primaries 
you don't even get to vote who you want to anyway, unless you have ranked choice voting. Maybe we'll get that because um, that that does that does flip the the script a little bit. I haven't heard of that ranked choice. So there. Um, in the in the primary, or depending on if it's a if it's a regular election, because um, when you vote, you often see that you've only heard of two candidates for this, but there's actually five names on there. So in rank choice, you would rank them. <laughs> okay, so then they would tally all the first, all the number ones, and if somebody gets the a majority there, then they win because nobody else, doesn't matter what else you'll do, right? Yeah. Um, otherwise, you'll then take whoever got the last one, who, who got the lowest number of votes, you will take those, you, they get eliminated, and then you take who, how many people put them actually first or second or something, you you move those votes into the into the other people, and you keep doing that until you get somebody who actually more people wanted them more than the people down here. So it's yeah, not just an A or B decision. Right. I see. Yeah, I was watching something the other day and I don't know if this is a common thing on ballots. I'd never seen it before, but they showed a ballot I believe was from a different state and at the top it said you could check a box to vote entire ballot Republican. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or vote entire ballot and yeah. I was like, seriously? Oh yes. That's the worst thing ever. Yes. You can't just vote for R or D they, on, for every oh, single yeah, person. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There are people, yeah, and it just, for some people, it just makes it easier because that's what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter who it is. No, that's disappointing. I mean- It is, but there are, yeah, there are states that do that. To to be honest, like, I don't really pay attention. You, you see ads and you see uh, uh, the signs on the side of the road and everything. When my ballot comes, I flip it over to all the- um, the initiatives. initiatives yeah. Yes. Those are the ones I'm interested in. Right. Um, so I'll go through all those and they oh, give yes. you the little booklet. You can yep. read about oh, it. Oh, absolutely. And who is for and who is against? Always interesting. It doesn't completely sway me, but I'm curious. Yeah. It's cool to go through those. Then I go back over and I start to vote for uh, mm -hmm. the, the people. And yeah, all those categories where there's just one person, I've never heard of them. I don't even check a box. I don't usually, no. Yeah. It's not. I don't. I'm not going to give my approval for someone I don't know, exactly. and they don't even have anybody running against them. Right, right. It's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. It has become, yes, the whole system has, has I think, become something that it was not, at, it was not anticipated that this is what it would be like. Um, and, and no third party can break in, you know, um, because it is one nice thing in some countries that that have some different kinds of things with parliaments and and because they often have multiple parties, you have to form a coalition, right? Mm -hmm. No party really ever wins. It's like, well, we can only do this if we get them and them, right? So you get some uh, some others. So you'll often see it's a co. There's usually coalition governments in places like the UK, Germany. Um, yeah, it seems like oh, some yeah. of those other other governments have figured things out a little bit better. It seems like there's more choices in um, England. Yeah, there, there. You know, it's like, why can't we do that here? Well, uh, we might be able to. It is much smaller, much more homogeneous population than we've got in the United States. Um, so it's it could be. You know, it's just it's just. Uh, uh, I still think we can uh, sort of like, well, we can't just be the UK. I'm like, no, 
but we could look at some of the stuff that's good and maybe we could take that and maybe mm-hmm. take, take a little from Denmark and maybe we could take a little from Bhutan, you know, it's okay. But we're the best country in the world. We're not taking anything from anybody. Well, I mean, we will take everything from everybody. everybody. <laughs> best country. I, that's another one. Best. Why do? Why is that a thing? That is a thing. I always think about it when I when I see the pirates with their flags. You just gotta be. The it's best. you always have to even like Viking Vikings traveling to other countries and slaughtering. Yeah. You gotta be the the superior. It's a really weird thing, but it's ancient and it's in us and. <gasps> And it actually works. Uh, it turns out, I try, I can't remember the exact number, but I, it might be 30% of all humans on Earth right now have some, um, can trace some of their genetic lineage to Genghis Khan, hmm. who, when the Mongols were coming across and pillaging and raping, he did a lot, and a lot of his DNA is still in us. So it works. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he also <laughs> slaughtered, like, 50 million people, 100 million. I think he so was responsible have for a, more death. We have a bottleneck and what's called a founder effect <laughs> with his genes. Wow. So the ones who lived, they they had they had babies with his DNA. Yeah, interesting, mm-hmm. huh? Mm-hmm. So so also we all are carrying yes, Genghis Khan DNA. And let's see. So he saved us from COVID. Possibly. <laughs> There's actually, there are some, I'm pretty sure I've read that there are a few diseases that are associated with some of those variants. But yeah, I don't know what will happen. Um, that's why I live, you know, I live on my little farm out in the country mm-hmm. and and because I'm lucky I get to do that. And I still teach, you know, and, and try to help kids make, do what it is they want to do. But now I kind of just watch and I vote, I do all this stuff I'm supposed to do, but I'm just kind of watching to see what happens. I, What will happen will happen. Mm-hmm. I, um, it's weird as I get older, I do, I'm not Buddhist, but I, a little more of that. If you get too, too just in, engaged in one thing, then if you lose it, it's just so horrible. And just kind of, I don't know, kind of let some stuff go. You do. You got to let, um, let people be people. And yeah. Uh, you f- you figured out a little bit more if yeah. if you're smart enough to let yourself learn and admit when you fail, you will learn stuff. That's what it is. Um, that has been uh, you know, um, and it is interesting. Some of that you don't get till you're older, because you know when you're 20, um, no one can tell you anything, and you have the best judgment of your whole life. Mm-hmm. Perhaps not. <laughs> um, and yeah, that that looking back on it's like uh, I. I feel like everything, all the good, all the bad, all, I just took it all in there, right? And you get to where you're at, which is a little, hopefully you're a little more at peace with what will happen. I I do feel bad sometimes for some of my students who are young, because I will die before much, a lot of the things get as bad as they're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, but... And maybe maybe they'll fix maybe they'll figure some stuff out. Hopefully, or not. Yeah. And that's the way it goes. <laughs> can't. The Earth don't care. It doesn't. We're not going. Don't have to stop saving the Earth. We can stop saving the <laughs> Earth. The Earth is good. Yeah. The Earth is fine. They'd probably be fine without the cockroaches that are the humans mm-hmm. crawling all over the surface. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, I think that's a good spot to end it. Okay. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you. This was fun.